Welcome to another episode of the Handle Everything Podcast. Let's start this episode by setting the intention with my special guest, Maria Desmondi. You've got this. You've got this. You can handle hard things. You've got this. If you want to find out more about how you can handle everything in parenting, then stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss this episode with Maria. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. And in every episode, our guests are going to share a book that has made an impact on the way they do things. In this episode, we're switching it up a little bit, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Maria Desmondi, author of Sunnyside Upbringing, a month-by-month guide to raising kind and caring kids. And if you want to read the book for free with a 30-day trial membership to Audible, just go to audibletrial.com slash handle everything and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs Download a title free and just start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash handle everything. Welcome to the Handle Everything podcast, where people who have a lot on their plate come to learn how to open doors to opportunities by handling it all in a healthy way. I'm your host, Tara Bradford, a former ICU nurse turned executive coach. When Maria was a little girl, she was teased for her curly hair and favorite lunchbox fare, spaghetti in a hot dog bun. Many moons later, these and other real-life moments continue to fuel what is now her critically acclaimed children's book writing career. Maria has penned nine books that feature stories with topics ranging from anti-bullying to overcoming adversity to friendship trials and tribulations, and beyond. Maria is dedicated to empowering those around her through her roles as author, teacher, public speaker, community leader, and friend. Maria is intentional about making each day count and lives in Southeast Michigan with her high school sweetheart husband, three kids, and two pet snails. Welcome to the show, Maria. Hi, thanks for having me. So glad you're here. And we're going to dive right in with the first question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Tell us how full your plate is. Can you give us a peek into your life? (laughs) I wonder if anyone says they don't have a full plate. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, I have three young children. They're getting a little bit older, but their ages are six, eight, and 10. And I have a job, you know, I have a writing career. And then I also run a business, a publishing house for children's picture books. And then I have a husband and I volunteer and I have friends. It's a full plate. So I usually wake up around 5, 5.30 and I go to bed around 9 or 10 at the latest. And I'm just sucking the marrow out of life between all of those hours. It sounds like you're really present throughout your day. I am. I really am. I say no to a lot of things. I have a lot of boundaries. I say no so that I can say yes to what's important. That's a great tactic for being able to handle everything on your plate for our listeners who might be feeling overwhelmed or stressed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So do you ever find yourself feeling stressed out when maybe you add something to your plate that wasn't 
planned for or have to shift and reprioritize things? Yeah, you know, over the years, I've learned, especially with having children, I've learned a lot more about becoming flexible and the importance of flexibility. With my first daughter, that was a tough lesson for me to learn because children don't come with a manual and you can't really predict everything with children. And I like predictability. I like control. I like organization. I like to know what's happening. So that was a really difficult lesson to learn, but I'm glad I learned the lesson early on in parenting because now I can feel when I'm becoming stressed, I can definitely feel it. And I know exactly what I need to do to get out of that space. As I talk to you right now, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have eight sticky notes on my computer because those are eight programs that I have to design for my speaking career. So that's something I do as part of my role as author. And they have the deadlines on them. And just looking at them kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) And what does that feel like? That little bit of anxiety that's kind of like a whisper, like, hey, I'm here. Yeah, a little tightness in my chest. And what I do is I exercise daily to help with that. I write things down to make sure that I have a plan and nothing sneaks up on me. And last but not least, I work on gratitude every morning. So if I feel as if I'm coming from a place of gratitude and I have time for myself, then I can do what I need to do for other people in my life. I love that. And you know, as much as I know, that when we're children, we aren't really taught how to handle stress. So has there been a time in your life when you were under a lot of pressure that taught you something or you were able to turn it into an opportunity and really start to bring your awareness to this? That's a great question. And I was thinking about that today. So I love to swim and I usually swim like twice a week for exercise. And I think I love to swim because it's a time where I don't have my cell phone. I don't have music. I don't have audiobooks. It's pure quiet. And I was thinking about a program idea a few days ago that I wanted to create. And so I go to schools. That's the biggest speaking that I do is I speak to elementary schools in the state of Michigan and then across the country as well. And I have different programs. I think I have seven programs right now, but I've had this idea for this program. I was thinking about it while swimming. And then I thought when I got out of the pool, I was like, you know what? I don't really have time right now to create that program. That's a great idea, Maria, but you don't have time to do that. And then I got an email that same day from a principal who said, do you have a program around this topic? And it was the same topic I was thinking of. And I was like, this is a great opportunity. I say I don't have the time. I can make the time. I can push it out a month or two months from now. But I felt like that was a sign. So I turned that pressure of, gosh, I have this idea. I want to do it. I don't have time to, here's a school who wants me to create this. I'm going to do it. I love the way you reframed that and how quickly it showed up to tell you that it's here, the opportunity is available to you if you want it. It was quick. It was very quick. And I think too, it's important to have some quiet time in our day so that you can have those conversations with yourself and that you can take your creativity and then channel it into something in your work. Right. And to give yourself permission to change your mind, because it sounded like you had your mind made up that you didn't have time (laughs) for it. And then when the opportunity presented itself, all of a sudden there was more time. 
Yeah. And for those of you listening, as far as speaking goes, I will spend hours creating that program, but I will be able to reuse and repurpose that program at other elementary schools, which brings in a large percentage of my income, my speaking does. So it's going to be great. It really is. So. Well, congratulations on calling in that opportunity and the new program <laughs> that you're creating. Thank and you. more exciting news. You're welcome. More exciting news is that you have a new book out called Sunnyside Upbringing, a month-by-month guide to raising kind and caring kids. And in this book, you've done all the heavy lifting for parents who don't have time to read the latest research on how to raise their kids but they'd really like to know those things. So is your new program part of that book? Part of it. So the program's going to be centered around empathy, and there's a large part of empathy in my book. So not exactly, but the book came from years of thinking, gosh, I wish there was a book for parents, for educators, for caregivers, that talked about life skills and gave examples of how we can actually teach our children these life skills. And I was reading research by Career Builder a few years ago, and they did all this research with employers, and they said, what do you see these college graduates right now are lacking in the workforce? And there was a list of seven to maybe 11 different life skills, and I was shocked at the simplicity of these life skills, like problem solving creativity, ability to communicate with team members. And I thought college students should be coming out of their programs with creativity and being able to communicate. And so I took that research and I said, I'm going to have a book that shows parents you can prepare your kids for the future, for their life in simple ways. That's incredible. And I agree with you. As a coach myself, I find college students that I work with in business schools that are afraid of conflict and having difficult conversations and, you know, don't know how to ask for what they want and things exactly like what you're talking about. And it's been really interesting. I know that from talking to parents, they don't want to do the homework because they're so busy. They don't want to be looking online and trying to research, like, how can I teach my child to be empathetic? How can I teach them about problem solving? And so I wanted to create an answer to parents where it could be really simple for them to just open up a book and have ideas. Absolutely. And I think there are things that are passed down from generation to generation that are actually holding kids back in today's society because things have changed so much from how they were when our parents were younger. That's true. And, you know, one of those things is digital technology. And I know there's a lot of research and a lot of advice out there on screen time. And I get that. And I get the importance of limiting screen time for kids. But we can't ignore the fact that digital technology is here and that it's changing our children and it's changing the future. And so I think to your comment about generation to generation, I think we really have to embrace and figure out how we can work around digital technology instead of holding our kids back and saying, no, no technology time, no smartphones, it's not good for you. I think we have to embrace it. That's great advice. What are some of the other themes that you have showing up throughout your book besides empathy and technology? 
values-based parenting. So really taking time to sit with your partner or if you're a single parent, taking time to journal this out yourself and to decide, I mean, there's hundreds of values. What are three to five values that are most important to you? And what values do you want to show up in your parenting? And so select a few and then figure out in your day-to-day, am I actually parenting with those values? And so it's going to be a lot of work at the beginning to stop yourself and say, okay, I'm overcommitted. My children are overcommitted. But one of those values that was really important to me was togetherness. Okay, well, if we're all overcommitted, we're not actually living out that value in our daily life. So how can we make a change? And so I have a whole chapter on how to host a family meeting because you can talk to your children about these values that are important to you and how you want that to show up in your family. And you can really center your family meetings around this mission statement that you create for your family. And so, for example, in our family, our mission statement is Desmondis work hard, they are kind, and they have fun. And so throughout the day, if my children are doing something, I can always refer back to that mission statement. You're pulling your sister's hair. Dismondis are kind. We need to figure out a different way to communicate to your sister that you don't like what she is doing. And so it helps to really go back to those core values. So that's another big theme in the book. I start the book off with chapter one, talking about values-based parenting, how you can do this, how you can set up family meetings. That's a great example. And I love the way that you address it and teach your children and teach other parents how to teach their children, how to really get their needs met and communicate what is bothering them. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's safe to say that people want to be great parents and they want their kids to succeed. And sometimes, as you mentioned, the stress of being a busy parent holds them back from achieving this goal. And Sometimes when we're stressed out, we get frustrated and may not be able to find those words that go back to our values. So what's a good way that parents can catch themselves when they notice that they're feeling stressed and come back to a conversation in a way that is going to be productive instead of non-productive? Well, I think getting your family on board to recognizing when you have those triggers. And so telling your partner, like, I'm really trying to work on this in my parenting. Can you help me when you see I'm having a trigger and I'm not being the best parent I want to be? I have this with my own husband and I don't want him to step in and say, hey, I don't think your tone with the kids is good right now because that makes me feel really horrible. So I just ask him to come over and place his hand on my hand. And that's a signal to me like, take a step back, take a deep breath. You're not doing something that you want to be doing as a parent right now. I also think getting our children on board, teaching our children about emotions And so you can do that in your family meetings. You can do that driving in the car. Oh my goodness. Children are so tuned in in the car. If they don't have a cell phone to play on, if you're not putting a screen, like a television show on in the car, just strap your kids into the car, drive away and talk to them. Actually talk to your children in the car. Teach them to recognize different emotions. And you can even say to them, this is called emotional IQ. So you're teaching them to recognize in people's tone of voice, in their physical demeanor, in their facial expressions, how might someone else be feeling? And so you can tell them like, sometimes mommy isn't going to be feeling happy. And when you recognize that, you can ask me what's wrong. 
And so I think really accountability within the family will help parents to keep themselves in check. These are great tips for all of our listeners. And I really want to emphasize one of the things that you said about partnering with your partner, where it's not like you take the kids or you take care of this or good cop, bad cop. It's really a joint effort and you're on the same team and you're doing it together and having each other's back in those more challenging moments. Absolutely. And that comes with time. And I think it also comes with teamwork because I fall apart near the end of the night. Like I told you, I wake up pretty early in the morning. So around 8, 30, 9 o'clock, I'm pretty spent. However, my husband on the flip side, he wakes up later and stays up later. And so when we do bedtime routines, I love reading to my children, which I'm sure listeners are not surprised because I write children's books. So after I do reading to the children, he's usually the one who is tucking two out of the three children in. And if somebody gets up in the middle of the night, he's the one handling the middle of the night kind of thing, because I guess I like my beauty sleep. And he's been really great about letting me have that time. That's great. For our listeners who might be thinking, the things that she's describing sound great, but I don't know how to go from where I am right now to where you are at the moment after studying and researching and implementing all of these things. What are some quick wins that the parents listening can get from this show, things that they could do right away? Oh, that's a good question. So I think things that they can do right away is to take a step back and figure out what are two areas in their parenting that they are just totally rocking it. They're very successful in these two areas. And then what are two areas that they're not feeling so great about? And have a conversation with your partner about those two areas that you're not feeling so great and come up with an action plan. What can you do to make those areas better? Another one, tip two, I will say, is don't feel bad about getting rid of things that no longer serve you. For example, traditions. I hear people all the time complaining about traditions. Some of my friends, they'll say, oh my goodness, now we have to go do this because we always do this. Well, if it's not bringing you joy, your children are probably getting a sense that you're not enjoying that tradition So what's the point of doing the tradition anymore? It's okay to let go of things that no longer serve you in a family. It's okay to say no to things as well. So I think tip two would be to really let go of things that no longer serve you as a family. Tip three, schedule time together. You know, we say we want to raise kind and caring kids, but in order to do that, we have to be an influence on our children. Think about the influences we have throughout the day. We have influences from our coworkers and we have influences from our childhood and social media influences us. You know, a lot of people are taking hiatus from social media because they don't like the way it makes them feel. So think about those influences your children has throughout the day. And if you really want to raise kind and caring kids, you have to have time to model that with your own children. So schedule time for your family to be together. So that would be my tip number three is make time for you to do things together. Those are great tips. And it sounds like not only are the kids getting the benefit of all of these tips, but also the parents are growing and stretching their own personal development and skills to also be those role models that they want to be. Absolutely. And, you know, think about things that you remember from your childhood that you really enjoyed. And one of the things I loved when I was a child was when my family had friends over. 
And so something that we did, and I say schedule time together, you literally have to get on the calendar so that you know it's going to happen. So something that my husband and I are doing currently is we're inviting families over for Sunday supper. And we're doing this a couple times a month this winter. And we've done it twice so far. And it has literally been my dream come true. We have a couple families over. It's a potluck. Everyone brings something. The kids are there. And then people play games. And there aren't movies on. There's no TV. It's not just all about the parents going into one room and the kids being in another room. It's about being together. And it's about making those memories. And I learned how to play Yahtzee. I never knew how to play Yahtzee. So the first family Sunday supper, someone taught us how to play Yahtzee. And then the second Sunday supper, we taught other people how to play Yahtzee. And it was just so much fun. So I think just really think about who do you want your children to be and how can you get them there? That is super fun. And it's fun to learn new things too as an adult and to play like a kid again. Yeah, life is busy. And we just finished a huge home addition project. It took us a year. And there were times that Dave and I just had to remind ourselves, like, what is the family mission statement is to have fun. And we are not having fun right now. We are exhausted at the end of the night because we're the builders on this project. And so we sat the kids down and we actually bought a game. We bought a game called Rummy Cube. And we said, this is because we're getting committed back to fun. Like we've had a rough six weeks with this house project, but we want you to know that we're getting back to having fun with you and we're committed to that. So that's a great way to look at it is recommitting instead of thinking, oh, I failed at this or it wasn't perfect. It doesn't work. But giving yourself permission to revisit it and to recognize when you've moved away from it. Yes, absolutely. And you can't give yourself a hard time. I mean, life is life and things are going to come up, but get back to where you want to be and, you know, ask for forgiveness and flexibility from your children too. Right. And I think that's a great way to model problem solving skills for them too, which is another theme in your book. You're right. You're right. And I have a funny story to tell you about that. I know one of your questions was, tell us a little bit more about problem solving. In one of our family meetings, one of the questions we ask is what's working and what's not working. And my husband meditates and he loves his time for meditation. And he said to the kids, what's not working is I'm having a hard time finding a time and a space in the home where I can meditate without interruptions. Can you help me figure this out? And so problem solving the kids. I mean, at the time, my son was four and he's giving ideas to his, you know, 40 year old father on trying to figure out a way to solve this problem. So the kids made a sign for the bedroom door that says stop and go. And so when it says stop, you cannot go in because Papa's meditating. So they were able to help come up with a solution to a problem because we asked them. I love that story. (laughs) (laughs) We all need our time. We all need to make sure that our tanks have a little bit of gas in them. And I think it's good for kids to see grownups trying to figure that out. Absolutely. And I think we can learn so much from kids by seeing the world through their eyes, not just with the technical issues that they seem to pick up on really quickly that if we didn't grow up with that technology seemed to take a little bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) True. Very true. So at the end of the book, when people are finished reading it, What do you hope parents feel about parenting? I hope that they feel they have a better handle on it 
and that they know they can be a legacy in their children's lives and a big part of their children's lives. It's super simple and it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money to raise kind and caring kids. It's a matter of getting back to who do you want to be as a parent and what kind of children do you want to be raising? And it's just really simple. So within the pages of the book, I'm not saying you have to go buy these specific programs and you have to listen to this parenting workshop to be a good parent. It's just really going back to the basics. That's great. And it sounds like it's something that anybody can do. Absolutely. Yes. Each chapter has a set of activities that you can do at home. And the reason I put the activities there, because one of those life skills that career builder mentioned that college students are lacking is creativity. And so I put some different activities parents can do at home to encourage creativity. And my children and I actually did all of these for samples for the book. And I laugh because they do not look like half of the crafts that are on Pinterest, but they're realistic. (laughs) Like my children actually made these. It wasn't made by a mom. It wasn't made by someone in the art program at a certain, you know, business who's making them for Pinterest. So it's really cool. It's realistic. And it's something that everybody can pick up, especially working parents. I made things that you can do with the materials you have at your home because you're a working parent and you don't have time to be gathering pine cones for a project. Right. So true. So how long have you been studying this and researching this? Because it sounds like you have a really good handle on all of this material. You've implemented it into your family, your kids and your husband are on board. But if someone's looking to change a habit, we know it can take some time. So realistically, how long should someone expect to spend on changing these habits to become the kind of parent they want to be or aspire to be by picking up this book and reading it? Oh, I love that question. So I designed the book. It's a month by month guide. So technically you could take your time because life is busy and you could read one chapter a month and each month you could focus on a few things in that chapter. And by the end of the year, you're going to have a really, really good handle on becoming the parent you want to be. However, I know that some people don't want to drag it all across a whole entire year. So they could just pick and choose a few chapters or they could read it all at once. So I think that's a tricky question because every single parent is going to look at this and tackle it in a different way. But I think giving yourself the time would be month by month for an entire year. That's a good way to space it out and to make it attainable so that they can feel like they're winning and they're accomplishing something. Yeah, like this month, I'm going to read this chapter. I'm going to do a couple of the activities at home with my family. I'm going to implement a few of these things. Great. Now I'm going to try it again next month. So keeping it simple. And I like how you said attainable. And when two parents are picking up the book, is it better if they read it together or if one person kind of takes the lead and teaches it to the rest of the family or taking turns? How do you recommend that people move through it? Because it is such a team effort. I think you focus on what people's strengths are. So I know in our family, my strength is finding the time to read. I'm a huge reader. I read a lot of books throughout the year. And so I read the things and then I tell my husband. So I think focus on you and your partner's strengths and then work together from those strengths. 
great advice. And I know you do a lot of speaking. You mentioned that that's where you spend most of your time promoting your books and going into schools. Do you mostly speak to parents or kids? Or both. Oh, I speak to oh, both. Yep. So I speak to children at elementary schools, and then I speak at parenting workshops. I also speak to teachers at education workshops. And then last but not least, I speak at writing conferences about, you know, the art of writing and about publishing. So many different audiences, which keeps my job really interesting and fun. And I'm never bored. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd love to know what the most frequently asked questions are from each of those groups that you hear over and over again. Okay, so teachers are always asking, how can we implement character lessons in the classroom? Because teachers are so busy teaching to the curriculum and to the standards. And so my answer to them is through children's picture books. You read a book a day to your classroom and it teaches a different skill every single day. Be selective about the books you read. Parents usually ask, how can I find more time and be more present with my children? And again, I talked a lot in this interview about how they can do that. So that's my answer to that one. Kids. Oh my goodness. Kids questions are hilarious. They like <laughs> to ask me questions like, how old am I? And where did I get my shoes? And do I really eat spaghetti in a hot dog bun? Because my first picture book is called Spaghetti in a Hot Dog Bun. And it's actually based off of my own childhood experiences. So yes, I did eat spaghetti in a hot dog bun as a kid. So kid questions are probably my favorite because they're oftentimes random and very personal. <laughs> <laughs> to the group of writers, usually writers want to know how to become published. And so my greatest answer to that one is you have to write the book. Just get started. Oftentimes people get hung up on, I don't really know the process and I don't know if my book's going to be good enough and I don't really know how to do it. When people say, I don't really know how to publish a book, I'm like, go on Google. You can find all the answers on Google. Just write the book and you can figure it out. I promise you. And then last but not least, when people talk about publishing, oftentimes they want to know, well, how can I take a book? So now I've written the book. How can I get it published by a traditional company? And I like to say, do your homework. So you want to find a publishing company that's a good fit for you. So for example, we're not all going to buy the same bathing suit. We have different body types, right? So we need to find the bathing suit that is going to make us feel good and feel comfortable and feel our best. And that's the same with a publishing company. For example, my company, Cardinal Rule Press, I only publish children's realistic fiction. And so... I get people submitting books with talking dinosaurs and dancing fish, and that's not a good fit for my company because we only produce realistic fiction. That's great advice for the writers who are listening. And where can they find that information if they're not sure what the publisher typically publishes? So everything's on a publishing website under submission guidelines. So typically all of those ins and outs are on the website under submissions. And there's also a book called, it comes out every year. So right now, you know, it's the Children's Writers and Illustrators Market, and they have one for different genres as well. And you can get it on Amazon and it will have those submission guidelines all within the pages of one book. So every publisher in the country is in that book and it has those guidelines. That's super helpful. And all of the information that you've shared in this interview has been so incredible. 
and really simple and easy to implement. I really appreciate you sharing all of it. Oh, thank you. I'm an action taker. And so I want people to feel successful. And so I like to be helpful in giving information that's realistic. Well, as we wind down the interview, I always end with a few rapid fire questions just to have some fun and see what pops into your head when you hear oh, these questions. <laughs> awesome. Go for it. What does it mean to feel successful to you? Okay, to feel successful for me is going to bed at night without any regrets. No, okay, I'm going to change that. Going to bed with regret, but waking up feeling better. <laughs> so waking up every single morning with a positive mindset and knowing that I can handle hard things. And what is something you've accomplished that you are most proud of? I believe it's my children. I recently went to a funeral of a Holocaust survivor and they told his story. And I just thought, gosh, how do I want people to talk about me when I'm gone and that legacy? And I think about my children and how they would talk about me at my funeral. And I think I'm doing a good job. I think I'm in a good place. I think I'm spending time with them and we're making memories. We're connected. And I think that's something that I'm so proud of. What are you most looking forward to this year? Vacations. Where are you <laughs> headed first? <laughs> well, we went on one. So we, Dave and I save money for vacations. Like I know people like different things, but we like to travel. So we went to the Bahamas earlier this year. We're going to Mexico, the Smoky Mountains, up North Michigan. And I think that's all that's on the docket for right now. But I love vacation. And where's your favorite travel destination with kids as a family? Mexico. Notice and I what? didn't say Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> I just like being at the beach and at the pool and playing and relaxing. And that's my favorite destination. So fun. And what's going to keep you up at night after this interview? <laughs> I don't know. That's a hard question. Skip. <laughs> yeah, I was listening. It sounds like you sleep really good and you have a great routine. <laughs> and even when the kids were babies, Dave would have to wake me up and say, honey, it's time to feed the baby because I was nursing. I do sleep really well at night. <laughs> Nothing's <laughs> keeping me up at night. That's amazing. And the last one, what is a mantra that parents can repeat in their mind when they wake up first thing in the morning to help set the tone for their day? You've got this. You've got this. You can handle hard things. You've got this. Things are going to pop up throughout the day, and you just take it step by step, day by day, week by week, month by month, and you can get through these hard things. And the last question, where can our listeners get a copy of your book? Oh, well, the book is going to be available nationwide at booksellers, which so I always encourage listeners to go to a local bookstore first. And if it's not there, request them to order it. It should be there. And then of course it's on Amazon. <laughs> Most of our sales come from Amazon, but I love the idea of helping the indie booksellers. That's so wonderful. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. I've learned so much and I hope our listeners have as well. Thank you for being here, Maria. And thank you for having this space to interview people and to share these experiences with listeners. I think 
podcasts are really important. I know they've been a big part of my life. So I thank you for your time in doing this. What did you think? I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you want to let me know what you thought about this, just send me a message on social media at Tara Ray Bradford. I've been loving all the messages I've been getting from LinkedIn. And if you're on any of the other social media platforms, you can find me there too. My intention with this show is to share how other people are handling everything and to give you actionable steps to make positive changes in your life because of these episodes. So I'd love to know what you thought. And if you want to check out the links and everything from this show, go on over to handleeverything.com. Be sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already, and make sure you check out Maria Desmondi. Her book is getting rave reviews for all of the valuable advice she's given to parents. Thank you again, Maria, for being on the show, and thank you to everyone listening in. You're amazing, and I'm so proud of you for being able to manage all of the things on your plate. From me and the podcast team, make today the best day. And by the way, if you haven't listened to episode four yet, it's my most downloaded episode about parenting a child with disabilities with Harriet Cabelli, a therapist and positive psychology coach. Check it out at handleeverything.com. Hey, in case I haven't said thank you enough yet, thanks for listening to the Handle Everything podcast at handleeverything.com.